0: On today's episode, I have with me Steven Sekoler, founder and CEO at Journey, and he has just an amazing story in the mental health space. So, Steven, thanks for taking a few minutes to chat with me today.
1: It is my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I'd love if you could start with sharing with our audience a little bit about your background and honestly, your passion for mental well-being.
1: How much time do we have? Um, yeah, so I grew up in Queens, New York. Um, was always kind of hustling and starting different businesses and doing all different things, and always wanted to like make a buck. It's like a very Queens thing, actually. Um, and then I went to NYU where I studied business, and pretty quickly graduated and started working at a company. And I realized that I didn't really have the skills and tool set that I needed to like live a happy, healthy, balanced life. I was doing like all the same things that like many young guys in New York were doing, going out and trying to work and trying to, you know, and like, I was like, okay, this is like fun, but not fulfilling. And so I started reading books like uh, Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people, which is like the worst title for like such a good quality book or the seven habits of highly Effective people. Um, just a whole bunch of stuff like that. And so I, I started on this journey, no pun intended, of like self-exploration, self-development, probably, I don't know, I guess I was in my my early 20s. And then fast forward a bunch of years, I ended up moving to Australia to open an office for my previous company. And it was the first time I had lived outside of New York. I had all this space, like literally, I wasn't living in a tiny studio, figuratively. Um, I just had time. And I ended up getting into, well, really exploring a whole bunch of things, traveling throughout Asia. And I found this book or this book found me, this book on Buddhism, and it really spoke to me. And I started, it was just very practical. Like, it was just very like, this is a good way to live life, right? Not like religious belief, like none of that, just like, this is a good way to live life. And I was like, oh, okay, there's some good stuff here. I started meditating and that really transformed my life. And to like put it into perspective for, for people, because like the transform your life is like I don't know, it's tied to like a blender or like a new, you know, desk chair. Like I was heavy for most of my, uh, I I used to say most of my life, but I guess that's not true. So up to the time I was 22, I was very heavy. So I lost 85 pounds. Um, I'm now 43. So I guess technically almost half my life I have not been heavy. Um, the transformation was bigger from once I started meditating as opposed to before, than it was from losing 85 pounds to before. So it was a significant shift in the way I moved through the world. And yeah, from there, I just said, okay, this is this is great stuff. I went deeper into a whole bunch more things besides meditation. And then fast forward a few years later, moved back to New York, sold the company and thought, okay, I think there might be an opportunity here to take all of these practices and things and community and bring it to people in a really simple, approachable way. And in twenty fifteen, it's crazy seven years ago. Um, Journey was born.
0: What an amazing story. And I'm so jelly. Australia is on my bucket list of places to go. So um, maybe offline, I'll pick your brain about that because it just sounds fascinating. Um you know, as i as I think about, you know, the world right now and the work that you've done with Journey, you know, your company focuses on, you know, really creating the world's largest, most supportive, inclusive well-being community. And what I really loved about that, and I'd, I'd love for you to share more about it, is how did you land on, you know, community being the key when it comes to mental well-being?
1: Great question, really excellent question. So, a, a couple ways, really. So, I had mentioned the the dieting thing, like how I how I lost all the weight, right? Um, or, or I, I mentioned that I that I lost the weight, but I didn't say how. people would always say to me, wow, that's amazing. How'd you lose 85 pounds? Meaning like, what did you eat? Like, was it cabbage soup or something all the time? It had nothing to do with what I was eating. It was the fact that I had support and accountability and a community that kept me coming back long enough for it to work. Because for anyone who's tried to lose weight, you know, you try, you have a good week, then you go off it and then you never go back to it. And it's like that with all these habits, right? Going to the gym or quitting smoking, things like that. It's the same with meditation. So when we started Journey, Journey was actually Journey meditation, right? We've since dropped the meditation and expanded to add cognitive behavioral therapy and positive psychology and neuroscience. But at the time, I was very focused on that. And when I looked at what was out there, at least digitally, right, you had products like Calm and Headspace, which are great. But when you talk to people, they say, and I'm curious about if you've ever used them, people say, oh, I tried calm, or I tried headspace, or I tried fill in the blank. Right. And that's because behavior change and habit formation is really hard to do on your own. Right. And then when I looked at meditation for thousands of years, it was practiced in communities. It was practiced with a teacher, with fellow students. And so it was like, okay, maybe there's something here. Like, why can't we, we're evolving some of our life digitally, but why can't we keep the community aspect, the support aspect? And I think You know, we see it now, like being able to go to somebody or having people that'll say, yeah, you're not alone in this experience. Like, oh, I'm suffering with COVID or Ukraine or, you know, Roe v. Wade or fill in the blank, whatever's going to come next, right? Having somebody to be like, I'm with you. Like, I understand how hard that is. That in and of itself doesn't solve the problem, but it really lightens the load, right? And so the idea was the community can be such a critical piece to helping people with their mental and emotional well-being.
0: You know, it's interesting that you talked about just the the variance in, in people and the things that they need to have those experiences in community. You know, I've, I've tried meditation, and um, it was interesting. It, it didn't click with me until somebody had mentioned that my view of what meditation should be was defined by all these external things. And the way that my brain works and the way I meditate is much different. You know, I, I don't have that where I can sit and be still and be calm for 20 minutes at a time. It's different for me. I have a different experience with that. But I wouldn't have learned that unless I had had some of these community conversations about, you know, how does it work for you? Like, my brain's always going. How do you find the space and the calm? And so um, that really resonates with me that, you know, when you're on a journey together with somebody, it, it just it makes it so much better.
1: Yeah, and I'll say one other thing, like one of the great learnings for us, I mean, it's been seven years, it's a long time to be doing something, was like our mission was and is to help all people live happier, healthier, less stressed lives. And the all part is really important because it's not simply folks who are wealthy, folks on the coast, folks who are privileged, right? How do we reach into communities that haven't had access to mental health practices in a way that's culturally relevant, that's respectful, et cetera, right? So the access part was really important. And when we started, I mentioned we were focused on meditation, but what we learned, I mean, this is not, you know, some of these learnings are like, yeah, go figure. (laughs) That's not necessarily for everyone, right? There might be other practices that could be more beneficial. So the same way, you know, you might go to the gym and do yoga and I might lift weights and my wife might run, right? You might love journaling and somebody else might love cognitive behavioral therapy and somebody else might love breath work we're agnostic when it comes to the practice, right? It's really, do people have the tools that they need to navigate this crazy thing called life? So that's one of the learnings, you know, over the years.
0: You know, the last two years have really taught us a lot about mental well-being and, you know, managing that ourselves and setting boundaries. And I feel like towards the beginning of the pandemic, resiliency was like this hot, topic this buzzword right so now two years later it seems like one of the most important skills anyone can have no matter what you know what role you have for work or what you do you know how how do you go about building resiliency now amid everything we've experienced because I think at the beginning of the pandemic it was like oh yeah resiliency is a b and c I think it's something way different now and so you know what's your advice in that space
1: It's really hard. And by that I mean like it's very easy for somebody to say, hey, you should do this, right? And it's like, okay, that's great. But like I have three kids, I'm working two jobs. I have like, right? And so I think if there's small things that one can incorporate into their life, like it might be, hey, I don't have 10 minutes to do a morning meditation. Okay. Do you have five minutes? to write down, you know, to do some journaling, right? Just to get what's out of your head onto paper. No? Okay. Do you have two minutes to take a few breaths? Do you have 60 seconds to think of three things you're grateful for? Do you have a minute to just check in, right? What's going on, right? Can you incorporate that? Can you find community? Can you find, you know, therapists are really hard to find nowadays because there's such a huge need, right? Like the demand is so high. And the supply is so low, especially if you're a person of color or a member of the LGBTQ plus community or, you know, it's really hard to find a therapist. So are there tools and support that are available to you, whether that's through your company or on your own or any community organization? Um, But I think it's the thing for me is, can I do something small on a day to day basis? So similar to exercise, right? Not, let me wait until Sunday and then do this one big workout. What can I do every day consistently, even if it's small, just to keep keep the movement, right? And you do that long enough and you end up getting to a place of, of good health, right? And now, depending depends on the starting point, right? Like similar with, with mental health, like there are people that need more help than that, right? But if we're talking about the, the vast majority of people, right? Just doing something consistent can make a huge difference in terms of feeling really good, feeling centered and grounded on a day-to-day basis.
0: You talked about, you know, building, building that muscle. And I think, I think that's such the right framework that you're building resiliency. You know, the, the American psychological association, they've got this list, right? And it's things to do to build resiliency. So I'm, I'm going to read it. It's not that long, but prioritize relationships, join a group, take care of your body, practice mindfulness, avoid negative outlets, help others, be proactive, move towards your goals, look for opportunities for self-discovery, keep things in perspective, accept change, maintain a hopeful outlook, and learn from your past. So as I was reading this list um, from the APA, I was like, okay, it doesn't seem like a long list, but all those things can seem really overwhelming if you try to tackle all of them or once, or maybe even four or five of them at once. You know, as, as I was reading through that list, what do you think are kind of the best ones to pull from that list that you might see the biggest impact in starting to strengthen that resiliency muscle?
1: Great question. So as you said, there's there's a lot there, right? Um, I think the right answer depends on the person, right? Like if, if this was, if we were just giving this list to people, I would bet that people would resonate with different things, right? Some people would say, oh, for me, taking care of my body is really important. For other people, they might say, you know, being helpful of others, my church group or where I volunteer. Somebody might say, you know, moving towards my goals, right? I'm really career oriented. Or somebody else might say, prioritizing relationships, right? I take care of my my child or my older parent, right? So I think it's very person dependent. For me, um, I have this thing that I wrote probably back like, probably 15, 20 years ago at this point, called My Recipe for an Amazing Life. It's such a goofy name. And every time I like tell someone, I'm like, I should probably just think of a different name. But that's, a, that's what I called it. And so that's why I still call it. And it has things to do and things to remember. And thinking about that list, there are differences between those. In other words, some of them are actions, right? Things to do for me are like, get a good night's sleep, Eat healthy, move my body consistently. Things to remember, right? Looking at the list here might be maintain a hopeful outlook, keep things in perspective, right? Like keeping things in perspective isn't a thing that you like check off your list as like you did it today. It's a continuous thing, right? So those are more things to remember. So I think when I when when I heard that list, that's what came to mind for me was like just splitting the two between what are the things that I can do, and what are the things that I need to, you know, incorporate into my mindset.
0: What are your thoughts overall on um, how employers should be thinking about taking on mental wellness for their organizations?
1: Employees are expecting different things from their employers now than they did pre-pandemic. And certainly then if you look, you know, generally, generationally, than our parents did, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, right? And one of those things is To take care of their mental and emotional well-being. And so if you think about the spectrum from proactive care to reactive care, every company has, I shouldn't say every company, most companies have health insurance, right? So you have health insurance for when there's an issue, right? For you're being reactive. Most companies, all of the companies that we work with, have an EAP, an employee assistance plan. Why? It's very helpful for when employees need assistance, right? So it's also reactive, right? What we as Journey do is we are a proactive tool. So we are a preventative mental health program. So not waiting until someone has an issue and needs to use the EAP or has a really more significant issue and needs prescriptions and things like that and needs to use the medical plan, right? What are we doing on a day-to-day basis to keep our employees mentally and emotionally fit? So I think having that support is helpful. But I'd say the other part, so that's like tools, resources and support. The other part, which is equally, if not more important, is having a culture where employees feel really seen and cared for and supported. And the way we think about that is reducing stigma so people can talk about mental health in the organization, creating permission so people can take the time they need when they need it, you know, people burn out. That's a real thing. There was, a, there was a, an article in the New York Times about it today. There's stats about it all the time. People burn out because they just keep going. Oh, I can just do a little more until, until they can't. And that's when it's a major issue. But maybe if we had hit pause somewhere along the way and just taken an extra day or two, skipped a meeting here or there, right? Said, hey, I can't do another Zoom. I need to keep my camera off. Hey, I need to take this, this, you know, the rest of the day off, right? To recenter, to rebalance would make a huge difference. And then the third, part of that culture shift is training managers, especially in this very strange hybrid work from home environment. Managers need to be the eyes and ears and need to be trained in terms of what to look for and how to respond skillfully. Right. So um, it's, I think both of those things are very important, providing the tools and working to shift the culture.
0: Have you seen more organizations um, fold in, mental well-being as part of their overall business strategy?
1: Yes, absolutely. So one of the cool things, um, I probably don't take as much time as I should to like sit and think about this, like, and, and appreciate this. When we started seven years ago, you know, there were companies like Google and LinkedIn and Facebook and companies that you would think would provide these types of benefits because they provide all types of benefits, right? Like, and so they're very progressive. Now, The companies that we work with are established companies. I mean, we still work with, of course, lots of tech companies, but we get calls from manufacturing companies, industrial companies, companies that are um, not the typical company you would expect to be offering proactive mental health support. And the reason they're doing it is it just makes sense from a dollars and cents standpoint. Let's forget the like, we want to help people. Just put it aside for something, Right. Let's just look at how much does burnout cost? How much does turnover cost? Healthcare costs, right? Like healthcare is really expensive when people use it for mental health, right? So again, putting aside the like, hey, we want to help people. This is a good thing to do just, you know, from a humanitarian standpoint, it makes business sense. And it's very easy to make that case to say, hey, we're going to help. Like we had a clinical study with Humana, That showed that participants in the journey program is 51% less work in the month following the program versus the month prior, right? Absenteeism was way down, right? Like that actually saves you a lot of money. And so companies, they know this, right? They're realizing this. And so now you're seeing companies where from the board level to the CEO, they're saying this is a priority and it's incorporated into our business strategy,
0: I think we're going to see this more and more, um, not only mental health and well-being, but also things like, you know, big corporate social responsibility initiatives. I think, like you mentioned before, they, they used to be kind of in these more modern organizations and now they're becoming table stakes a lot of times with things that it's just the right thing to do and it makes business sense, so why are we not doing it? You know, as we wrap up our discussion, what is something that you're excited about in this space as there is this more intense focus on providing just really strong well-being resources for employees,
1: what I'm really excited about is this becoming table stakes. like not back when I started the company, right, seven years ago, this was like novel and interesting, right? And so, like I go to a party with my friends who worked in finance or law, and like it was interesting to talk about, oh mental health, meditation, like, I want it to be not interesting. Like, that's just the standard thing that if somebody said, oh, I sell insurance, you're like, okay, good for you, right? Like, it's not like, oh, wow, tell me more, right? Oh, we have this, you know, every company has this, is a standard offering that companies have the same way they have health insurance, right? The same way. And when you think about other benefits, things like family, leave, right? The definition of that is changing to include you know, men to include loss, to include other things, right? Like it just makes sense, right? And so here, same thing, how can we make it? So this is a standard essential benefit that every employee is expecting. It's not even a question and every employer is providing.
0: And I think Gen Z is definitely going to push us there for sure because they they definitely expect it and rightfully so. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about you and Journey, how do they get in touch with you?
1: Sure. Uh, website is journey.live, so J-O-U-R-N-E-Y dot L-I-V-E. Uh, my email is Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N at journey.live. I'm sure we have an Instagram and a LinkedIn that our marketing VP, Lindsay, is going to kill me for not mentioning, but maybe we put it in like some kind of show notes or something. But yeah, you can, you can find us in a bunch of places there.
0: And I'll make sure to include that on in the show notes. So if you're looking for that stuff and you're listening, that's where you can find it. Stephen, thanks so much for a few minutes of your time today.
1: This was a lot of fun. Thanks,
0: Sherry. This podcast is brought to you by Palocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today. So you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at PCTYtalks at paylocity.com.